to those who are here and watching the live stream. Uh, this is our last in-person gathering, corporate gathering for Logos this year. And it's a joy and blessing to have the elders Q&A for tonight. Uh, the Q&A is one of the ways that God uses to shepherd our congregation. And God uses, uh, you know, praise God for our elders who shepherds us through, not through their opinions, but through God's word. And this is also one of the ways for you to hear and to get to know our elders as well. So before we uh, move forward, I would like to read a passage. And I chose this passage, the last elders Q&A in Logos. It's Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 to 29. Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 to 29. Him we proclaim, that is him, Christ. Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And this passage tells us that our elders are here for tonight to exhort and teach us um, to teach our hearts by God's Spirit and His Word so that we would grow in mature in our maturity in Christ uh, as we are united together in the Word. So let's have humble hearts as we listen to the Q&A tonight. So I'll open this up in a word of prayer. Oh Lord, we are so thankful that we are, ne- we are not left to our own, in our own selves, that you are with us, that you are Emmanuel. We are not alone, and we have your word and your spirit. And we thank you for tonight that we could grow in our knowledge and in our understanding of Christ through your word. And Lord, we pray, may you please bless our Q&A for tonight. May we have humble hearts, uh, listening ears to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Before we go to the questions, um, our elders uh, would like to shepherd us with regards to the security of our church. Uh, Two Sundays ago, maybe you have heard or seen that there were notes left on the windshields of vehicles uh, on the Sunday morning. Um, But that note was addressed an angry rant um, towards the Chinese church that meets every Sunday at the chapel adjacent to us. And so um, our, our, our elders are here to, would, they would like to shepherd us with that. Um, so Ted, would you like to? Uh... Sure. Um, yeah, I don't know how many of you are aware, you know, word sometimes gets around others, you know, you weren't aware, but as JC mentioned, you know, there was a situation in the parking lot a couple of weeks ago. This was during Advent, you know, all Sundays. And uh, obviously, uh, we we are, our church wasn't targeted. Uh, it was actually directed toward uh, the Kong uh, Wa Baptist Church next door. But, you know, by virtue of us sharing a space um, and the fact that we worship around the same time, you know, we're in, indirectly affected by this. And so, um, you know, just thinking about that, situation and you know just first and foremost just being reminded that 
um, you know, the gospel is sufficient for every situation, right? And that, you know, as we've been learning through Logos, you know, as we've been studying Romans and just delving into the gospel, you know, to really believe that the gospel is sufficient uh, for our lives, right? And even for our security, knowing that Christ came um, such that, you know, for those who believe in him, who trust in him, for their salvation, our security is secure, is, is, you know, eternally secure in Christ, right? And so, you know, just to, to start with what are the objective truths as we even consider the situation is for us to be thankful that, yeah, we live in a world that's fallen. We live in a world where, you know, the God of this world is, is trying to harm and hinder and, you know, thwart God's plan and work and harm his people. And yet, you know, we can have confidence um, that God is king and um, yeah, nothing, nothing will uh, happen outside of his uh, sovereign plan. And uh, he is for our good and for his glory. And so uh, through the gospel, we can, you know, be confident that, you know, uh, our security is in him and we don't have to fear these things. Uh, that being said, you know, it, it does impact us as a church, uh, knowing that there's somebody out there that is unhappy with the church over, you know, that meets next to us. And so, um, you know, it's, it's worth us considering first, you know, where do we look, right? And do we look to ourselves? Do we look to one another? Do we look to, you know, the civil authorities? And, and the answer is yes, yes, yes. In the terms of, okay, what do we need to do? But first and foremost, you know, it's, it's an opportunity for us to renew our faith and trust in God because he's the one uh, who is in control. Um, and, uh, he is our God and King. Uh, at the same time, you know, we want to act wisely and, and for the protection of the flock, right? Not just the spiritual protection, but also for the physical protection. And, and that ultimately is, is also what the gospel is about, right? Christ came, laid down his life for us, and we ought to consider one another and, and care for one another in this way. And so, um, you know, this is our problem. And we get to look to the Lord together, but we also get to work together uh, to to care for one another, to look out for one another. And so, one of the things that we did uh, as elders, you know, we called upon um, some of the men who are uh, helping shepherd this church, and uh, namely the discipleship group leaders. We met last Sunday together just to pray, but also to call upon them to help us lead in the protection of the flock. And you know, they've been. We've already had a security team that has met, uh, that's been um, serving week in and week out. Um, but in light of this recent situation, you know, just the need to expand that ministry, and so uh, calling upon the men uh, to to serve, uh, as um, we'll mention some of the opportunities that will come up soon. Um, but we've also uh, met with the Chinese church to kind of you know, see where they're at and, you know, see if there's any truth to some of these uh, concerns that have come up in, you know, it's also been an opportunity there for the gospel uh, just to, to show them our care and say, you know, we're as much as we're concerned about ourselves, we're concerned about you too, you know, and you're an older congregation, you're a smaller congregation, but that doesn't mean that you're less important. And that doesn't mean that we're here to protect ourselves and and leave you guys to fend for your for your, yourselves, but it's an opportunity for us to walk in the gospel, uh, to share the love of Christ with them. And so I, you know, we had an opportunity to go to the Sunnyvale 
police department last week and just to meet with the officer there and just give them an update on the situation um, and, uh, you know, also show our appreciation for what they do for our community. Uh, they did inform us that if there's any concerns that come up, anything suspicious, they welcome us to contact them um, just to, you know, for them to be informed. They already have a case open for us. Um, if there's any threat, obviously that goes straight to 911. But otherwise, you know, there is a non-emergent line that we can call. Now, the way we recommend doing this through our church is, you know, we've asked Ken and, and Terrence to sort of be the point people as, as head of security, um, to be those who, you know, as much as possible in sort of the chain of commands, uh, they would be the ones that we would inform if there's any concerns, any more notes that you've noticed, um, and they can contact the proper authorities. Um, and then we've also asked if they can help patrol the area during our, our service uh, times and just keep an eye out on the community just to make us feel safe. And they said they would do whatever they can to, to do that. Um, but also within our church, we want to be able to, to look out for one another. And so we think of our children, you know, who are sort of in the back. And so we've asked the security to, team to also keep an extra eye on them um, and also just to look out for one another if there's anything concerning, suspicious, just to raise that um, to the appropriate, you know, leaders in the church and, you know, we'll sort of handle it step by step. Uh, yeah, so I don't know if Kevin, Mark, if there's anything to add, I know there's opportunities to serve. We wanted to bring that up. I don't know if today would be a good opportunity for that. Um, uh, nothing too much to add as far as just the updates that Ted gave, but, you know, um, just to share a little bit, you know, the way that the Lord has used this, um, I, I think for, for myself and, and maybe for, I don't want to presume, but maybe for, for some of us as well, we have a tendency to kind of mind our own business. You know, if this doesn't concern me, you know, let's just, you know, it's not my thing. It's not towards addressed towards our church, you know. We'll be concerned about it as far as it affects us, but you know this is is really an opportunity. Um, I think that the Lord has used to expose in my own life. Just you know, it, even if something does not directly pertain to me, you know, if the Lord has put it in in our way, in my way, is it something that I can look to Him and see how can I please Him and how can I honor Him? So you know, this is one of those things that I definitely exposed it. I think my first initial reaction was like, well, this doesn't concern our church, so how much do you know we really need to be involved here? But you know, just with the, you know, guidance and shepherding of Ted and Mark, just seeing that, you no, know, this is the Lord getting our attention and letting us know that, hey, there is another church that meets here. There's ways that we can care for them and even follow up with the things that have come to light. And I think those are good, you know, lessons for us, even irrespective of the situation, you know, even if there are opportunities to serve, um, if we see something that's maybe a little suspicious on a Sunday is our first um, reaction, like, hey, that's none of my business. Uh, maybe I shouldn't get involved with that. Or is it, hey, is there something here that, you know, we can we can look into and ways that we can help and ways that we can serve one another. So, you know, I think those are the challenges that the, the Lord has brought to light and, the, you know, his provision, his sovereignty for us. Just complimenting what these men said. I think it's helpful to remember where God is, right? He's good and he is sovereign. And by sovereign, we mean that his rule and authority over all things is infinite. And there is nothing that happens apart from his will. And he 
at times sees fit in his wisdom uh, to use what men mean for evil, ultimately to bring good for his glory and for his people. And I think it's important that we remember who we are, that we are the household of God in Christ. And so when we see it within a gospel perspective, we have to understand when we go through the word of the Lord, contrary to prosperity gospels and contrary to a lot of what is coming through the media, through our politics and through people who have embraced Christian nationalism and also Christian politics, what the Lord has put forth in his word within a gospel context is there is only one Savior, and there is only one mediator between God and man. That's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Things aren't going to get fixed in this world until Christ comes again. And in fact, he has a plan where he is giving us time to repent and his lost sheep to come to faith in him. But as that happens, the world is going to get worse rather than better. And you see this in reading the letters of First and Second Timothy. You see it as you go through the book of Revelation. You see it through Jesus' words prior to being crucified. This world is going to get worse, and we're seeing that right now, okay? Hate crimes, up. Mass shootings, up. Just the other day, you know, Joshua was on a field trip. They took them on public transit. You know, and as they're on public transit, there's an Asian man talking about killing immigrants in the seat right next to Joshua. And he came home and he was totally freaked out, right? And it was like, can we watch a Christmas movie tonight? You know, and, you know, fair game, right? You know, you go through and it was like, what ethnicity was this guy who was talking about killing all these immigrants and so on and so forth on the bus? Like, he was, he was Asian, dad. Okay, so look. Scripture says the Lord is going to hand a society over and part of his wrath and judgment is to let people go down the path that they want to go down when they turn their back on the Lord. And many are the sorrows and afflictions of those who pursue other gods. And we're seeing that play out and there's a lot more mental illness and there's a lot more craziness and everybody's going over that that cliff. This is the time that we live in. But what the Lord also says is the gospel is greater, our Lord is greater. He takes care of his sheep, he has a good plan, and he's allowed us to be here during this time that we would be a bright light for the gospel. So that's our calling and that's our hope. And that includes God's sovereignty and our responsibility. And as the household of God, we have a responsibility to look out for one another, but also the widows, the orphans, and the least among us. And so we've got a group of seniors who are across the way. So in two weeks, I believe December 24th, in our coffee and donut time from 10.30 to 11, we asked the refreshment team guys to do coffee and donuts during that time afterwards from 11 till 12. December 24th, we'll have a time of prayer, okay, at that time for our church. But that intermediate time from 10.30 to 11, we've invited the Chinese church to join us for coffee and donuts, okay? And so I'm gonna ask you all, listen, they're your aunties, they're your uncles, you know what these people are like and how they're cut. They may not have the same theology as we are, doesn't matter. Please reach out and show them love, look out for them, okay? And and try to extend the same kindness to them that Christ has, has done to us.
okay? So I'm going to ask you to do that. That's one of the ways in which we honor the Lord and we serve as a bright light and we take responsibility. Okay, God's put this in our lap. What a great opportunity. Second thing moving forward is we're going to ask every male member of the church who is a member in good standing that you would serve once per semester a patrolling, right, the parking lot, or doing security duty, okay? So that way, all the guys are doing this. This isn't on the ladies. This is men serving as men. What a great opportunity to grow as men, to lead, guide, and protect, and look out for everyone here, seniors, children, women. That's on us, okay? So that we'll get a rotation starting January where we will rotate through. And if you're our member, you're here, and you're a member in good standing, and you're a man, you're going to be on that rotation. We're going to ask you to do it, and we'll do it together. It'll be sweet. It'll be fun. We'll spread it out, and we'll serve the Lord, and we'll take care of our people, and we'll honor the Lord. Okay. Thank you, elders, for pointing us to Christ uh, and his sovereignty and his will. And just to remind us that we love and to love and care for one another by looking out for one another. So with that said, uh, we'll move forward to the Q&A. We have uh, five questions. And the first question is, uh, is a good one if you're single. How do you know if you are spiritually prepared for dating? What are ways that we can test or prepare ourselves for dating? Who would like to start? Who's the last person who got married? That would be me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't think necessarily think that there is, you know, a unique spiritual category, you know, ready to date on this side and then not ready to date on this side. And there's some some invisible threshold that, that's in between them that you need to, to pass before you're qualified to date. Um, but that said, you know, what is required is that you love God. You know, that's really what's going to put everything else in the right place and the right alignment. And as you love God, as you pursue God, and you love God more than you love a relationship or desire a relationship or more than you love uh, this other person uh, that you may want to date, um, that that's number one. And I think everything else follows that. I do think that there are some helpful principles though. So I'm not just going to leave it at that. Um, I think even though there's no like, okay, here are the checklist requirements, there's wisdom. And I think for everyone here, there is the opportunity to ask a discipleship group leader, like, hey, what do you think? You know, are there areas in my life that I need to address and I need to grow? And, and that's not just for the purpose of, okay, so that I can go date someone. Um, but it's, you know, what are ways that I can really grow in my walk with Christ? And those things happen to be the same things that are going to be useful and profitable for everything, including a dating relationship. Um, I think one consideration specifically for dating, though, is just to remember, too, that dating is a, a temporary thing. And that may seem very obvious, um, but I, I think it has implications, right? So meaning that, you know, moving forward into a dating relationship. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking more to the guys here um, than to ladies because it's the guys who are taking more of the initiative here. Um, are you prepared entering a dating relationship 
it's either going to result in moving forward towards marriage, so are you ready for that, or it's going to result in breaking up, so are you ready for that, right? So those two outcomes, are you prepared to, hey, if the purpose of dating is to find out, hey, am I going to commit my life to, to loving this person in a marriage, if the answer is yes, are you ready to move forward with that yes? Uh, if the answer is no, are you ready to not just continue dating for the sake of keeping things going, right? But to to end things there. So I would say that those are considerations. Um, and the, the implications for that is if we kind of enter a dating relationship, like, okay, I think I want to get married, but, you know, we'll just continue dating. You're exposing yourself to a longer period of time where you are going to be tempted, right? And then there's an opportunity there for, you know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, those things to to really compromise your purity, right? The longer you remain in a dating relationship and you don't move forward towards marriage, then you're not ready to take that step. Then you should really, you know, think twice about, you know, taking that first step then. Okay, who's next? Ted? I can go. <clears throat> yeah, uh, just to piggyback off what Kevin mentioned, um, yeah, I remember, you know, years ago I would come up with a list, right? You know, what's what are the spiritual preparations, the things that you sort of need to meet to quote unquote prepare today, you know, what are the practical and sort of break it down that way. And um yeah, I mean it's helpful to think about it that way, but I, I think as Kevin mentioned, you know, the, the underlying principle is yeah, your relationship with the Lord. You know, if that's in the right place, everything else sort of falls into place, right? And whether it's, are you prepared to date or are you prepared to get married? Or are you prepared to have kids? Like those questions come up over and over again. It's just, how do you apply that same principle in different seasons of life, right? And are you walking well with the Lord? Um, verse comes to mind is Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart, right? And so delighting in the Lord means you're satisfied in him. It means you're sufficient in him right? You find him to be your greatest worth and you're satisfied. And so everything else sort of falls into place, right? And yeah, does the Lord, you know, work through our desires? He does, but that's dependent on us being in a right relationship with God. Otherwise our desires are selfish, right? You can date for selfish reasons or you can date for the glory of God. And and the really the, the determining factor is how's your walk, right? And so, um, yeah, I, I think there's freedom there, um, but also, you know, there's, you know, things that need to be in the right place in order to, you know, make those decisions in a way that, that honors Christ. And um, yeah, and, and the other thing I, I would say, you know, just learning to see these things more as, well, if the Lord is calling me to these things, he's going to provide, right? Because I think there's a temptation, at least when I was contemplating dating and things like that, okay, what do I need to do? What do I have to have in place in order for me to be quote unquote ready or, you know, to have make the right decisions. But if our relationship with Christ is in the right place and he calls us to these things, whether it's marriage, having kids, dating, he'll provide, right? He promises that he'll give us everything we need in order to walk through those different seasons by faith. And so rather than putting it upon ourselves and say, what do I need to do? Who do I need to talk to? Like, what book do I need to read? Like, really, it, it centers on, you know, how's your walk with Christ? 
you know, is he your greatest efficiency and satisfaction? Um, and do you trust him, you know, as you make these decisions? And, it, and his answer might be no. You know, you may ask a gal and she might say, you know, whatever reason, do you trust the Lord? Are you satisfied in him that, yeah, it might hurt, it might you might be disappointed, but you still have everything you need in Christ. And so I, I think that's the preparation, the heart preparation that needs to come, you know, before any of this, right? Whether it's preparing to date, preparing to get married, preparing to whatever, have kids or, you know, uh, yeah. And so those are sort of my thoughts with that. Those are good answers. Wish I had you guys when I was in my 20s. Um, you know, we have to say, just as Ted and, and Kevin said, you know, do we have the criteria of contentment in Christ? You know, will we be content with much or nothing? Is he our greatest satisfaction? And is he our greatest joy? And are we growing in Christ? And if those are there, right? then yes, I think to add uh, a little bit to what they're saying, which is part of that is if there is a life-dominating sin, if there is a pattern of unrepentant sin, if we are not submitted to the will and work of God, if we don't have contentment in him, all right, then yeah, I would pause because you're going to bring that into whatever relationship you're going to go into. I think we have to be mindful, as Ted said, we don't want to be legalistic about this, that idea of, okay, what do I have to check off in order to be good enough? I mean, guys, how many of us were adequate for marriage? How many of us were adequate to be fathers? How many of us were adequate? We weren't. So we look at justification by faith, that our righteousness and perfection is in Christ. We are not worthy of any of these things. It is entirely a gift of grace from the Lord. And when we look at it in context, you go back to Genesis, where the Lord says, it's not good for the man to be alone. And so he creates a helper suitable for him. And so God's original intent is for his creation that we wouldn't be alone and that we would be in fellowship. There are exceptions to that. Jesus was an exception to that. The apostle Paul was an exception to that. Now, men, if you're Jesus and you're the Apostle Paul, I'll give you a pass, okay? If you're not, then you've got to say, okay, where am I in this picture, okay, of how God's created me and what's the direction he's created me for? And I'll give you anecdotal. There are guys, oh, not ready. You know, are you thinking about, is it on your mind? I'll ask guys, what's on your, are you thinking about this? Because if you're not, you're the exception rather than the rule. I'm not ready. I'm not this, that, and the other thing. I just want to be right with Jesus. And then some gal comes along who presses all your buttons, and suddenly you're growing in Christ and doing really well, and sin's been put off, and you're ready to go. Right? And then the bigger picture, yes, it's a joke. Right? And when that relationship ends, the person's fallen into the same old patterns and habits once that person's out of the picture. And so we see what was driving the heart and why on the one hand they weren't dating and why they were on the others because they were fleshly and worldly. So we want to follow and stay in step with the Lord. And at the end of the day, we want to be growing in Christ. Now, Andrew Chu, this weekend at lunch, was grilling us about um, 
and he's got two daughters that didn't come up, but it was probably driving it. And his oldest daughter just started to go to TMU, right, out of the house. He's like, okay, so, you know, what type of guys would you let ask your daughter out, give permission to be married? What happens if he can't keep a job down? And he was going through this, right? And JC was giving the answers because he's got his, uh, just so all you know, he's completed Dr. Street's advanced marriage and family. So if you have any of those issues, go see JC. Don't go see the rest of us. And then uh, Kevin's got two daughters. So if you want to get answers on that, you can ask Kevin, right? But as we sort of went through, you know, part of the issue that comes up, really, men, you should be looking for your life in general at 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. You should be men who are on track to become deacons and elders in the church. Maybe you're not an elder. Maybe you're a deacon, but one of the two, you should be going in that direction. If you're not, what are you doing? Right? Your desire should be to serve the Lord with your command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. All of it. And part of that desire in the household of God is to serve with everything he's given you because you belong to him. And the roadmap and the direction is laid out for us in First and Second Timothy. You are to be above reproach. And that should be the direction of your life. We're not saying perfection, we're saying direction. And so if you're stuck, no woman's going to unstuck you. Only Jesus can do that, right? You're going to get unstuck until the wedding bells happen and you're going to become stuck again, right? And so you want to look at that and say, okay, Am I growing in Christ? Is my contentment growing? And here's what growing in Christ and contentment in Christ looks like. It looks like what a deacon is, and it looks like what an elder is. That should be the trajectory. And if you're on that trajectory and going in that direction, and you have contentment, and you're growing in Christ, then those are good signs that probably you should be thinking about it. Yeah, thank you, elders, for, um, yeah, it just reminds me of the passage that we read in Colossians 1, 28 to 29, that the direction of our lives should be towards maturity in Christ, and that includes our satisfaction, you know, our contentment is found in Christ, not in relationships. Um, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, one other thing, if yes. I could. Yes. You should be preparing for it. You should be preparing to be a man who's above reproach, who can manage his household well. And if, and because some of you aren't going to get married, that's part of God's hidden will. That's not your fault. He has special plans for you. Regardless, you should be the type of single man. I think I was there. I don't think I married Julie till I was 40, 41, where you can still reasonably manage your household well and be above reproach and be well thought of in your community and work. And be taking care of your business. That should be the direction. Yeah. Thank you, Pastor Mark. And uh, you, uh, Kevin, you mentioned about uh, you know asking for shepherding, right? When it comes to uh, before dating, and this, I think that's a good segue to our next question, because our next question asks: um, Someone asked, "What does it mean to seek counsel? How does a believer do that wisely?" and humbly who would like to start take that 
Sure. Uh, Proverbs, you know, I think of in terms of, you know, counsel and, you know, the whole book is on God's counsel. I mean, his entire scriptures are, but, you know, Proverbs, uh, that's the theme, right? In uh, chapter 12, I think, verse 15, if I can turn there. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to to counsel, right? And, um, you know, in the context of Proverbs, counsel is found in God's word, right? It's not human opinion. It's not what you think is best, what my opinion versus your opinion, you know, majority say, you know, all these ways that people think about counsel, right? And from a worldly perspective, right? Uh, but when we come to God's word, his word is what provides counsel, right? And our responsibility as believers is to not only consider his counsel, but also to submit to it, right? To heed it, right? Because that's where we find blessing and joy, um, you know? And so, yeah, how do we approach counsel? You know, I, I think we really have to start with, do we, again, esteem God? Do we esteem his word? Uh, do we esteem um, his blessing uh, and his calling upon our lives? And, and in light of that, right, counsel sort of fits in, right, where we come to his word with the right perspective and right attitude, which is not to consider and say, well, that sounds okay, but maybe not for me, but to put ourselves under it, right, rather than standing over God's word. Um, and so, again, you know, I think we live in an age and a culture, even in the church, where, you know, people have come to me and people have come to you and we've come to each other for counsel, right? And we all sort of put it under the label of counsel. But how we respond really re reveals our view of God and our view of God's word. You know, do we see it as his authority? You know, do we see it as sufficient and necessary? Do we see it as, uh, you know, what's absolutely true, right? And, and, and the way we respond to counsel really shows that, right? And, um, you know, hopefully you're not coming to just gather information and say, well, I'm just going to make what I think is the best choice, right? It says the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, right? Uh, but we're called to submit to it as his children because that's his way of blessing us. That's his way of leading us, right, in the path of righteousness, uh, it's from his word. It's centered on Christ. It comes through godly, mature men, right? Romans 15, 14 talks about you're full of goodness, right? And knowledge and able to, to counsel one another, right? So there's a, there's a character quality, right? That's required of those of us who give counsel. It's not, well, I know the Bible in my head, so I'm just going to spew out these verses. It's like, have these truths really impacted our lives such that when we give counsel, it's, it's not just head knowledge, it's, it's, it's wisdom, right? It's, it's the word of God lived out in our lives that we uh, impart upon others, right? And so I think all this shows that, you know, the church is where God provides that wisdom, right? That the local church, right? Where you have leaders, but you also have brothers and sisters who are called to, uh, help one another grow and, and provide that counsel that we need in every situation, right? How do we apply the word of God in this situation versus that situation, right? And how do we encourage and how do we 
admonish and how do we right help right and and all these things fit under the umbrella of counsel right whatever is the need for the moment that the word of god provides that needs to be applied specifically in this person's life um and so you know i think the place to start is you know how do we view god and how do we view his word is it what's necessary for us or is it something just to think about consider but just walk away from sometimes and yeah, I, I think that's something we need to ask of ourselves because we, we we belong to a church where we say we have a high view of God's word. But I think the test is when those when the word is brought to bear upon our lives, how do we respond? Do we repent? You know, do we trust the Lord? Do we obey? And you know, if I'm honest with myself, not as much as I should, right? For the amount of work the word we're receiving on Sundays. We receive through Logos, through your discipleship group leaders, how much of that is being applied and submitted to in our lives. We all have room to grow, you know. Yeah, um, seeking counsel is essentially seeking wisdom. And when we seek wisdom and we consider what the scriptures say about wisdom and where that comes from, think of, you know, Fear of the Lord is being in the wisdom. So that's really where it needs to start, right? And love how Ted went to the Proverbs because um, that's where my mind went as well as far as when we are seeking counsel, seeking wisdom. Um, it, it begins not with an action like, what do I do? Who do I go to? But it really begins with an attitude and a perspective. Um, and that's one of um, not thinking that your own way is right or thinking that you're wise in your own eyes. Um, and not leaning on your own understanding, but submitting yourself to the wisdom of God's word ultimately. Now, as we do that, the Proverbs themselves tell us to seek wisdom from people, you know, people who are more mature than us, people who are, are wise. And that's part of seeking counsel from God's word as well. So um, I, I think when we are considering who it is that we seek counsel from, um, you know, Ted mentioned, it's not just anybody, right? You know, asking your neighbor um, or asking your coworker or asking, you know, a cousin of yours or something like that. Those things are not always going to be equal. It'll, it'll be a mixed bag, you know, to the degree that they submit themselves to God's word and are wise in it too. Um, but Ted mentioned Romans 15, 14. I think that gives us some good principles there, you know, full of goodness and full of knowledge um and that makes you able to counsel right your character and your knowledge of god's word both right not just one or the other but they go hand in hand and you know i, I think of paul too when he says you know imitate me as i imitate christ right if someone is not imitating christ and not striving towards that it's probably not a good idea to imitate them and it's probably not a good source of counsel either so really the character of someone's life. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean someone older, but it usually does. Um, you know, just because someone older doesn't necessarily mean that they're wiser. Just because someone is younger or the same age doesn't necessarily mean that they're more foolish or not. But I do think that, you know, really seeking those out those people in your life whom God has provided who exemplify those, those character qualities, that they love Christ and they're in his word. I think that's so helpful. You know what Kevin and Ted have said, and two words that jump out are wisdom and submission. 
And those are things we have to consider. Um, let me point out two bad things before we get to the good. I think we can pursue counsel from people who we think have experience in a particular area. I want to get wisdom about my finances and how much I should give to the church. Let me go to an accountant. Let me go to someone who has lots of experience. That is helpful, but that's only part of the picture because we're focusing very pragmatically on experience over the word of the Lord. There is a place for experience, but that experience comes under Christ and his maturity, not the other way around. So we can highly esteem someone who can be very secular and very worldly just because they have experience in a particular area that we think is going to help us. What are we trying to do with the counsel we're receiving? Who are we serving? Who are we honoring and who are we glorifying? I think that's helpful to think and weigh in our hearts. What, who am I doing this for? Am I doing this for me or am I doing this to honor and glorify the Lord? The other way we can go is we look for people who make us feel comfortable. And sometimes when we look for counsel, we're looking for someone to validate an outcome that we want. And sometimes we're not even aware of it because that's how our flesh functions. Our flesh is self-serving and desires a wisdom where you talk about wisdom. Wisdom is about success. That pure hachma in the Old Testament is strictly in isolation out of context. How do I get to a plan that's going to allow me to succeed? Well, what's the success that you want? Do you want a big bank account? Do you want a good job? Do you want comfort at night? Do you want to be able to provide for a family? In and of themselves, those are not bad things, but those are not necessarily of the Lord, right? And so when we come to God's word, we have to say, look, we have to weigh our hearts. Why am I, and it's helpful to say, okay, why am I seeking counsel for this in the first place? The idea of counsel is about purpose and plans, purpose and plans. And counsel for the child of God is, are my purpose and plans aligned with the purpose and plans of God? Is the direction I'm going, is this his will? And are the decisions I'm making and is the success, the wisdom, the plans, the choices I make, are they leading me closer to the Lord and being pleasing to him or are they leading me further away? And so when you go to Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. You walk through that and it gives you an outline of how to look for counsel. One of the pastors at Grace Community Church, who was a huge help to me, he made the point to me. He said, Mark, he said, not all counsel that comes from Christians is Christian counsel. And it was a breath of fresh air because I was getting all manner of horrific dating advice from people who were kind and sweet and loving and getting me to do all manner of twister because they had a vision of what was good and right, either based on their experiences, which happened to be middle America, Caucasian, whatever, or they had a vision that they, in their mind, had an idea of who they wanted me to be with. Okay, they loved me. Right. And so there's a lot of grace that goes there. But he just said, Hey, you know what? Not all counsel that comes from Christians is Christian counsel. 
And so when you look at Psalm 1, part of what he calls you to do is to consider the entire life of a person. How often have we heard someone come say, oh, you know what, I, I saw this person, how they treated their family, how they treated their wife, what they did. They've seen them for one snippet. They're people who make them feel comfortable. And suddenly they've become a disciple of this person instead of a disciple of Jesus. And the whole point of Psalm 1 is you want to look at the entirety of their life because you want to see the tree planted and whether what's coming out of it is thorns or fruit, and you're not going to see that in one minute or one moment or one dinner at their home. That's an entire life. Is the outcome of their life in good season and bad, when life is good and when it's hard, is it fruitful and does it look like the Lord? And then when we go to 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 30, he says, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So we look at all roads lead to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you're asking, is your counsel and the counsel you receive, is it aligned with the person and character and fruit of Christ? And we look at our own hearts and say, okay, is the counsel I'm seeking, is it for my personal comfort or benefit or advantage? Or is it a path that this is a desire ultimately that regardless of the cost or circumstance, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him? And when our hearts are submitted in that way and our desire is for Christ, we begin to see even if someone gives us godly counsel that says, you may have to wait for a while. You may have to do out without. This may cost you. You may have to let this relationship go and wait and see what happens. It might be hard. It might be difficult. There may even be suffering. It may even be to your personal disadvantage. But if it's from the Lord, it's the wisdom of God, and we have to look at the counsel. Are we desirous of the wisdom of the cross rather than the wisdom of men. Thank you. Uh, I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 5, 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Christ. So thank you for that answer, reminding us that uh, the counseling, that is the aim, that uh, our aim is to please Christ. And then JC, if I could just uh, add, add one more thing. You know, I think sometimes uh, we can approach counsel as if it's, you know, just tell me what to do, right? Um, and I, I think there needs to be some understanding of we need to trust in God, you know, as even as we seek counsel, as we do those things. Because oftentimes, you know, like Mark mentioned, following wisdom means that we're not following the ways of the flesh. They're often opposed to one another, right? So we're going to have to trust in the Lord and walk by faith that he's going to provide. Maybe if the path of wisdom is to walk away from a job or go on a path where we may not see like, okay, I'm not going to get what I want here. Do we trust that God will provide for those who are walking according to his ways? So trusting the Lord as we seek counsel and listen to counsel is, we can't forget that. Thank you, Kevin. So um, for our next question, um, it's a counseling question, actually. Um, how would you counsel someone who is discouraged because of the continued presence and long history of a particular sin 
or temptation in his or her life. Who would like to uh, start that? I think it, um, if the question is about how to counsel, um, in that, particular, how would you counsel? Um, I, I think there, it does depend on the person in, in some ways. Um, you know, I think of first Thessalonians, um, 514, we urge you brothers admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak and be patient with all, right? Sometimes someone needs admonishment. You know, that's a necessary part of giving counsel from God's word and particularly for someone, even though, um, there may be a posture of, you know, discouragement or things like that. Sometimes that disguises someone whose heart is unruly and someone whose heart is, you know, to use the words of, um, of ESV idol, right? Someone who is not taking those steps to do the things that God has called them to do. And then there's obviously, uh, de being defeated and that comes with that. But, you know, if someone's being idle or unruly, the call is to provide that admonishment. Now that's only one aspect or one component of the overall counsel that we give. It's not all constantly admonishment 100% of the time, all the time in the same manner. You know, we move on to, um, we are supposed to encourage the faint hearted, you know, and this one, you know, there are plenty of scriptures that talk about how to deal with those who are discouraged, those who are faint hearted, and they really all boil down to, we need to keep our eyes on Christ. You know, this is top of mind right now, just, you know, coming from uh, Pastor Andrew's sermon um, this past Sunday on Hebrews 12, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, I know that the, the context of faint-heartedness here is a little bit different. You know, we're dealing with those who are, you know, going through suffering. Um, and the discouragement that are being hearted here is more to do with sin, but you know what? The solution is the same. Our eyes need to be turned to Christ, you know, the one who authored and perfected and is perfecting our faith, um, and depend on him. So that's the remedy. Um, I, I think oftentimes when there's discouragement, it's because we're focused on ourselves. We're focused on what we are not able to do, right? And our eyes are taken off the one who's already accomplished and already done, and that's in, in him. Um, some are weak and they need someone to come alongside them to show them or to model to, or to instruct those things for them. So that's an aspect of counsel as well. And I think lastly, for all, we need to be patient, right? Things rarely happen or turn around in the, the time frame that we would want. So I think there's a degree of patience that comes with that and the patience that, you know, we can remember and look to our Lord for, you know, how to model that patience too. Thanks, Kevin. You know, when you keep on going down that path of heat, bruise 12, that, that Kevin read, there's a portion that comes after. And yes, it begins by fixing our eyes on Christ. And that's where we find the sweetness and the encouragement. That's where we find forgiveness and grace. And I think as you look at that, so oftentimes when people are discouraged, they have been looking sometimes 
at themselves and they feel hopeless in their inability to break the chain and the enslavement of sin. And as you go to Romans 5 and 6, which we've been studying through, and you also come to Hebrews 12, the authors, which is Christ himself, points us to the power of the cross that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all men. There is a power to break the chain of sin, but that power also comes with a suffering and death. So there is both power and there is also pain, and they are not separate. And the pain is the death of our flesh. And typically, that tends to be the sticking point when we are enslaved in sin. First, we look to ourselves and we fail to see the forgiveness and the grace and mercy that God freely extends, and that Christ's death on the cross is sufficient for all our sins. Are we willing to trust him rather than trust ourselves? But if we are, the faith in the cross will bring us to a place of suffering because we have to let go of a sin that has enslaved us. And because of that, it will not give up easily and there will be a death. And that death is a part of our life that needs to die. And that typically, in counseling young men, has been the sticking point of, okay, but now it's uncomfortable. Now I've got sleepless nights. Now it's painful. I can't do it. And what's interesting is you read the rest of Hebrews 12 after he tells us to focus on Christ and consider verse 3, him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So the remedy is considering Christ. He goes on and says, verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. And so he points it out very clearly. If you're going to walk this path of freedom, God is going to give it to you. He's going to forgive you. He's going to wipe the slate clean. He will give you everything you need to do to be free of your sin. But that path is the path of the cross. You need to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow the Lord. And there is going to be a striving, and it is going to be painful, and it is going to be hard, and the discipline of the Lord is going to set you free. And it's very rare that there's been a life-dominating or enslavement, whether it's drugs, pornography, gambling, whether it's an addiction to our work. And the validation that comes for so many ministers who abandon their families because they find their validation in the pulpit, walking and stepping away does not happen without pain and sorrow and difficulty and a certain amount of suffering because then as you go to 1 Peter 4, he points out that when we have suffered in this way, the flesh has been put to death, and we rise again free with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there was a Nine Marks podcast I sent out to some of you men where a pastor talked about his addiction to pornography, and he walked through how the Lord set him free and how he confessed his sin 
and was advised to confess that sin publicly to the congregation who he had been serving. And the church decided to make an announcement in a small town in rural America that there would be a special service this evening because the pastor had something to confess. And then, of course, everybody in the small town showed up because there's a scandal happening. And he said, I got up there and he said, I don't know whether I would have handled it that way, but I got up and basically confessed my sin publicly and everybody in the town knew my business and paraphrasing, it was brutal. But then he said, in hindsight, in God's wisdom, he said, I felt like I died that night, but the Lord knew that was the death I needed to die in order for the Lord to set me free from my sin and to have a new beginning and a new start, right? To move past the worst shame that you could possibly, because how often do men cover their sin out of shame, right? And conceal opposite of Psalm 32 and they're never set free. And so the real question for men when they say, I can't, there was a biblical counselor who had previously been converted out of being a psychologist and also of an Orthodox Jewish background who used to always bring his counselees who said, I can't, to Hebrews 12, 4, but have you resisted to the point of shedding blood? Yeah, just, that's good. Um, you know, the power of the gospel is what enables us, you know, as Mark mentioned, to fight sin. Uh, there's also his promises that we need to encourage one another with. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, right? And how many times do we doubt that? How many times do we feel like, I can't do this? It's impossible. I've tried over and over again. And yet, right here, it just says God doesn't do that. But what with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so you may be endure it, right? And so... It's not that we endure and we escape on our own. It's it's the power of the gospel at work in us, right? It's his purpose, right, in Titus to purify us to be a people for his own possession, right? Right. This promise of the gospel that he's not only going to justify us, but sanctify us and carry us all the way through glorification. That promise that the power that is at work in us is Holy Spirit that's alive in us, right? Understanding his purpose of, for our salvation. I think that's the greatest hope, right, in our fight against sin and temptation. It's not our experience. It's not how we feel. It's the objective truth of the gospel that we need to over and over and over meditate upon, believe and cling to, and say, this is what I put my hope in, not in my experience, right? Because, yeah, if it was just our experience where we find our assurance, we would all, we should all not have confidence. But when we look to the objective truth of the gospel, what he accomplished, what he promises to do, the fact that he gave us his Holy Spirit to work in us. I mean, but the test of whether we believe that yep. is whether we're willing to wait for the Lord. You know, when you just think of in a marriage illustration and your spouse is late, do you just take off? Well, they weren't here for five minutes, done. Well, it's kind of inconvenient. Am I still going to stick around here? No, if they're your kids or your wife, you're going to wait. Why? Because you love them, even if it's inconvenient or uncomfortable for you. And so the test really that the Lord puts before us, a test, do you really trust in my promises that I'm going to help you? 
with your loneliness, with your singleness, with not being in this workplace? Do you really trust that I am a God who is present, Emmanuel God with us? I love you perfectly. I am your Father. I am looking out for your best interests. The test is, okay, I'll wait for you, and I'll trust you. And sometimes that's why the Lord has us struggle sometimes with these sins. It's not that it's his fault or it's, it's he wants us to tr grow in our faith, right? And, and to believe in his promises and to cling to his promises. And yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. You know, it's, you know, the Lord's going to finish the work he started, um, but he's the one who's going to lead us and we have to trust him, you know, every step of the way rather than to throw in the towel and say, this isn't working. I think if you look at our church too, okay, you see this come alive where you see many of the folks in our church who have been faithful in loving and following the Lord. The Lord has seen fit more often than not to choose one area in their life where he makes them wait and wait and they have to pray and they have to consider options, whether it's to get married, whether it's to have children, whether it's to have a job. For whatever reason, God sees fit, like he did with King David, like he did with Joseph, like he did with the disciples, to have an area in your life where you're waiting for your sanctification. And what's sweet to see is for those who do wait upon the Lord rather than rashly act out or become bitter or lash out, but and sometimes that happens too and goes through that at the end of it. What's amazing to see is the fruit in their life, how their faith has grown, how they've matured, and they become stronger through that, and also the compassion with which they are able to go and minister to other people who are struggling. And we become more like Christ through that. Amen. Thank you. Uh, it's already 9.05. Maybe we could do one last question. Okay. Um, since it's Christmas time and, you know, uh, it's a great reminder of uh, our Lord and Savior coming here on earth to save us. Um, so the question is, how do we engage in conversation evangelism with others who deeply believe in another religion, uh, Muslim or Jewish background or whatever? And, and you know, they are spiritual. Uh, or and are spiritual towards another god. Small g. Um, yeah, I, I think it, number one, you want to you know engage and discern. You know, is, is there like an open hostility um, here towards Christ, right? And I, I think that may color and affect certain things. Um, obviously, you don't want to assume that, um, but you know upon being able to share your faith or mentioning that you're a Christian, um, go to church, those types of things. Is there an active opposition to that and a scoffing at that, right? And discerning, hey, am I in a place where it's about, hey, am I going to you know, cast my pearls before swine? Is this a situation where I just need to, you know, dust, dust off my feet and move on type of thing? Because there are situations like that. Now, assuming that it's not, you know, um, I want to get to a place where I can share the word because um, it's the word that is the power of salvation, right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, 
or it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, um, right? And the word of the cross, it's folly for those who are perishing, but for those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Um, so that's my end goal, my objective. How do I get to the word of God? Because that's what's sufficient, right? You know, oftentimes I may ask, you know, what someone believes and why they believe it. And they'll also ask, hey, can I share what I believe, why I believe it? And if there's an openness there to hear that, which you want to hear more, and that would hopefully lead to an opportunity for us to open the word together. And if it's for a more extended period of time, to even go through one of the Gospels. Gospel of John comes to mind because that's where they're going to be exposed to Christ himself. And it's not our ability to do apologetics or to, you know, uh, win arguments and uh, prove that the religion they follow is inferior somehow uh, to the religion that I follow. And, you know, this is why the, here are the shortcomings and the gaps of your system of belief. Like, no, it's just about how do we get someone to encounter Christ? And when they encounter Christ, Christ will work in their hearts either to save them or their hearts are hard, then their hearts will harden, right? But it's really to get to that point where, hey, how can I get to the place where I'm opening the word with them? The more chance that I have to do that, great. Sometimes it's not having more than a single conversation, which can make it challenging, but you know, how do I open up the word and I expose someone to who Jesus Christ is in the gospel? And then trust in the sufficiency of that, right? Yeah, just to piggyback off Kevin, you know, Second Corinthians 4 says, you know, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. Right. So these other religions, people who espouse to these other whatever major religions and deeply, you know, engrossed in it you know, it's spiritual blindness, right? The God of this world has blinded them to follow these other corrupt, you know, man-made philosophies and religions, right? Keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. So what's the remedy? It's not an argument. It's not convincing them from natural revelation that the gospel is true. Jesus Christ is Lord. It's, it's the gospel, right? As Kevin mentioned. And so if it's spiritual blindness, that's the problem. Right, the gospel is what sets them free. You know, I, I think the myth, you know, one aspect that I think we often neglect is prayer, right? It's it's the prayer that we need to 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 the Lord that they would open that the Lord would open their eyes to see the truth, right? And that we would have an opportunity not to win an argument, but to bring the gospel to bear, right, upon their lives. And you know, we see this um you know, exemplified in Acts 17. You know, you guys are familiar with Mars Hill and, and Paul there is confronting, you know, all these uh, Greek philosophers. And he says there, um, verse 22, so Paul standing in the midst of them said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, right? So these people are are spiritual. They're They're worshiping other uh, religions and you know there's all sorts of uh, Greek philosophies and things like that that's the context right but then you sort of see how he 
goes step by step and he basically proclaims the gospel, right? Starting in verse 24, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hand, right? Nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, right? So he proclaims a God who is singular, who is sovereign over creation, who is transcendent. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the earth, having determined a lot of periods and boundaries of their uh, dwelling place, that they should seek God, perhaps feel their way toward him, find him. He is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. So he's a God who is self-existent, self-independent. He's not served by human hands, right? He is uh, imminent as well as transcendent, because a lot of these other religions will say, well, God's far off. We can't have a relationship with him. The only thing we do is we try to appease this God. We, we do everything we can to, to, to make sure he doesn't destroy us, right? As opposed to seeing this, okay, well, our God, he's our creator, but he's not only transcendent, he is holy, but he also desires to have a relationship with us, right? He sustains us, he creates us, right? And then at the end of that sermon on the gospel, he says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, right? So it's a it's a gospel that calls on others to repent from their sins. It's not do good works, which is a lot of the religions out there, right? What can man do to make our way up to God to reach heaven, right? All the other all the other religions proclaim that. That's what's unique about Christianity is Christ died for us while we we're sinners, right? He came down and rescued those of us who are hopeless and helpless. That's what sets Christianity apart from all other religions. Right, but it requ- it requires us to come to him on his own terms, which is a gospel of repentance, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. Right, he's not just a creator; he's not only a savior; he's also judged by a man whom he has appointed, of course, Christ. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Right, we don't have just a crucified savior; we have a crucified savior that's risen from the dead. Right, so the gospel is what is going to allow people who are blinded by the God of this world to see the truth in the light of the gospel, right, of Jesus Christ. We need to pray. We need to find opportunities, as Kevin said, to bring the gospel, not just argue about religion, because that's what sometimes that's what they want to do. And sometimes we feel like we can out-argue them and convince them to believe. But if we really understand the barrier of spiritual blindness, right, no amount of persuasion is going to do that. It's just prayer and the word of God, right? That's where the power is. Yeah, I, I think summarizing, you know, what I'm hearing from you is we need to see someone through the lens of the gospel, right? So much of American Christianity is evangelism is basically a sales pitch. You're selling cars. How do you close the deal? And I think we have to think of ourselves. How did Christ save us? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we tend to think, well, I heard a message and I said a prayer and it happened in a moment. But I think if, as we mature, we look back, we see that, in fact, we probably heard the message many times. We heard a lot about the Lord and the Lord was actually being patient and working with us many times over years. And as we go to Ephesians, we see, in fact, it's before eternity passed, right? That the Lord had set in motion everything that we needed to be saved. And at the same time, we fight not against powers and principalities or flesh and blood, but we're fighting against powers and principalities. Instead, it said, 
who we're interacting with, we need to have compassion. They're enslaved and they're blind. They can't see it. And so I think a good way to do is to really look at our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In John 3, Nicodemus comes to him and he points out to Nicodemus, you can't get there on your own. You can't see it. You're the teacher of Israel and you can't understand and you can't connect the dots. You need a new heart and you need the Holy Spirit to come. When we see it within the lens of the gospel, it's an impossible task. So we think of 1 Timothy chapter 2. The Lord commands us, commands us that we be praying for the salvation of all men. How often do we obey that command? If we're not obeying it, then we're disobeying it, right? And so we say, reversal, let's back it up. Are we in prayer for coworkers, in-laws, people who are part of our family, who we come in contact with, people who we interact with on a regular basis, neighbors who do not know the Lord? According to 1 Timothy 2, that should be one of our top priorities on a regular basis. Our theme this year, loving and serving Christ's church together because we need to grow in maturity in that area. Lord willing, next year, loving and sharing Christ together. How do we share what we have here? Okay, But it begins on our knees in prayer with that heartbroken burden for those folks. John 4. Look at how Jesus interacts with the woman at the well. Jesus knows her heart. He knows everything. It's a divine appointment. And yet he still asks questions and he still listens to her answers. We love by listening. I gave my boys an assignment. I wish I could take credit for it. It was Julie, right? Because we're teaching them. And she said, oh, it'd be interesting. You know, if they asked other students in their public school, what do they believe in? So we said, okay, here's your sign-up before you get pizza and movie night this week, right? You need to tell us three people you spoke to who aren't Christians at your school, who do they worship, what do they believe in, and why, right? But what we're trying to show our sons a little bit, and obviously until Christ comes, it's not going to be complete, is we're not living in a bubble where it's all about us, 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 hey, Man, I'm going to heaven and I'm the best in the world. We need to love others and we need to understand what their enslavement and their bondage is with compassion, not arrogance and pride. Because that was you and that was me. Right? And then we need to look at the Apostle Paul and see someone who was exactly that. He was zealous for a false religion and Christ saved him on the road to Damascus. So prayer... Second thing is, at some point in time, they need to come face-to-face with Christ. Somewhere along the line, we need to listen and learn from them and understand, and we need to love them. If you're not loving the person, then all you're doing is you're trying to feed your own vanity and making a convert, and then you're a Pharisee. Have you learned that person? Do you love them? Are you bearing with them? Do you know them? Okay. Then... At some point in time, hey, if you're ministering to them, it's not just about being friends for the rest of your life. At some point, they have to encounter Christ. Will they encounter Christ at us, not just in our words, but also our deeds? Total package. Many times when people get saved, they'll let you know that what they saw was not only what you said, but the entirety of your life, they were keeping track of that. Things that you weren't even aware of. And then... 
finally, there's a point where people need to be challenged because Jesus always challenged. The rich young ruler, the disciples, everybody's like, look, there are some things here and there are some inconsistencies here and it can be done gently, but there's a decision that needs to be made. And at certain points, we're able to say with them, if we have a comfort level, hey, can I let you know what I believe about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, or why we celebrate Christmas? If they say no, hey, it's no. If they say yes, then they've given you permission and God's provided an opening where you're able to send a Christ, set aside Christ as holy, and bear witness to the only person who can save, and then it's in the hands of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A helpful book is Nabil Qureshi's book about how he converted from Islam to Christianity. We might not agree entirely with all his theology. He tends to be aligned with evidentialist apologists, okay? And that goes with what Ted was saying is our belief it's the gospel. But it's still helpful to see the witness in his life of a believer who was a Christian roommate and the years over which love was shown and the gospel was displayed in both word and deed over several years and how the Lord used that to bring him step by step to Christ. Are we willing to wait upon the Lord and trust him to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything we could hope or imagine? It's, you know, just to, what I'm hearing is it's the gospel message, but it's also not just the message, it's the gospel that's being lived out, right? And that's what we're studying in Logos is it's not for us to get big up here. It's, you know, we need to know the gospel truth, but we gotta, we gotta live that out, right? And that's what's, that's where the power is, right? God uses the gospel that's proclaimed through the lives of those who've been changed by the gospel to be his instrument in saving those who are Muslim and, you know, Jewish and so on and so forth. I think the two areas to be cautious about as we interact with people of other faiths, are they scoffers? So at the point where you go down, where they are scoffing at your love for Christ, you don't throw your pearls before swine. And the other one is if they are proselytizing. Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, others who are coming. I went, when I first came to town, I tried to get a mortgage, right? And I, I went to Chase Bank because that's where we banked. And the manager was Muslim and he proceeded to uh, try to proselytize and then ridicule. And then at the very end of listening to him for 20 minutes told me, well, I would never give you a mortgage because uh, you don't have a steady job and you don't have a whatever. It was like, why don't I sit here for 20 minutes to get scoffed at and proselytized? Jesus says, don't throw your pearls before swine. Those are two areas where the level of enslavement, you are actually being attacked. You don't have to retaliate. You overcome evil with good. Okay, but those are places where Scripture makes it pretty clear it's time to move on. But if you're talking about people who are nominally devoted or that's their path of life, then God's given you a great opportunity to share the gospel. In my years as a physician, when people were having a hard time, I would typically say to them, can you tell me, do you have a faith or a religion? And they would say, yes, no, or whatever. Can you tell me what you believe? They would tell me what they believe. I said, would you mind if I shared with you what I believe in? 
because I believe it connects with what you're struggling with right now. I never had a complaint. Now, it may still come, but in part, that was because for many of them, I'd been up at two in the morning taking care of their medical needs, like taking care of grandparents, parents, and children. They knew I loved them. And I listened to them, and the vast majority of them said, yes. And they gave me permission to point them to God's word, right? And so I had that opportunity. And I would imagine for many of you, that opportunity is there for you as well with your coworkers. When the Lord gives you that opportunity, when someone's struggling, when they've come to you because they sense in you there's something that is not in the other coworkers, pray and look to the Lord and then ask them, hey, would you mind? And see what the Lord will do in those circumstances. Thank you, elders. Um, it's been an encouraging time. Um, I've been encouraged, encouraged, and I trust the I trust the Lord that you have been encouraged, encouraged as well by God's word. Uh, let me just close us uh, in by reading Second Timothy three sixteen to seventeen. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And tonight, you know, it's been profitable, right? Uh, and we've heard uh, from the elders, uh, we've heard God's word, and thank, you know, God for his provision. And we have his spirit to help us to live out the gospel out here, you know, in Silicon Valley or in our, you know, circle of influences. Uh, before I close us, um, I'm just going to um, give announcements. Um, next week uh, is supposed to be sharing prayer, but uh, it's going to be optional for your discipleship group. And so please expect an email from your discipleship group leader of um, you know what's um, going to happen for your group next week. And also last one, uh, book club. Uh, if you want to join the book club, the winter book club, um, and you have not signed up, please uh, see me after uh, you know, uh, after this. And with that said, anything else that you would like to add? Okay, all right. Uh, and also refreshments, uh, you know, will be served by uh, Julie's crew. And so it's going to be at the fellowship hall. Um, let me just close us in a word. Can I add one thing? Oh, yes. Just with all of these questions, one, thanks for giving us the opportunity to answer your questions. And it is actually helpful and encouraging for us because it gives us an idea of how to pray for you all. Um, if there is one thing I want to leave you with as we look at all of these dis different questions, especially during this season, really let our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be your sweetness. When you look at all of these questions and you tie them all together, the heart of it is Christ, but the heart of it is your walk with Christ. And when Christ is your sweetness, you look at each aspect of those questions, they're all resolved because in Christ, everything is yes. Amen to that. All right. Yeah, let's close in prayer. Oh, Lord, how sweet is your word. Um, we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your kindness upon us. Uh, and your steadfast love endures forever. And we thank you, Lord, that we have um, our church family gathered here together 
And uh, we're so thankful, Lord, for your word that, that teaches us in the way that we should go. Oh, Lord, we pray, may you help our hearts to be submissive to your word, to see the beauty of Christ, to see um, you know, how great and good you are, um, and also help us to have compassion towards those who don't know you as well. May we be salt and light, uh, to be light to those who are blind, um, those who are in the darkness. And Lord, we pray that may we not be ashamed of the gospel because it is your power to save uh, those uh, who, uh, who believe. And we thank you, Lord, that we are not alone, that we have your spirit, that you are with us, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And we thank you, Lord, that you are not a faraway God, that you are uh, with us and uh, you are um, just continuing to guide us uh, by your spirit and your word. We pray, Lord, that uh, may you continue to bless the Logos ministry for your glory, that as a church, that we would not just be uh, big-brained or <laughs> be just uh, in cerebral you know, in our theology, but that we would live out the gospel, Lord, that live out the gospel first in our private walk with you, and also uh, in our own family and to our uh, church family and to the rest of um, you know the people that uh, the people you have sent to us or the, those people who are surrounding us that may we be a gospel light to them. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>